everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 308, not yet, recorded October 28th, 2017. Wow, I was just immediately insulting to like a billion people on the planet. I apologize for that. Um, yeah, it, it, wasn't it wasn't intentional. Screw up. It really wasn't intentional. Um, hi, everybody. This is the Geek Rat, the show where we insult people on a regular basis and don't apologize for it. No, really, I, I am sorry. Sorry. I am Mark, your host, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, even from multiple continents, are your friends in mind, your stalwart co-hosts, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the Aussie Jenner Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome back, faithful opiates. Glad you could join us yet again. Yeah, hello from tomorrow. I'm on the other side of the dateline. If I sound a little distant, that would be why. Yeah, I haven't actually checked Google on this, but I'm going to say you're about 3,000 miles away, and there's actually less lag than when you're on the same continent. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good, actually. The internet's not too bad. I, I am in Australia, just to, for people to understand. I'm down here for a couple of weeks. So, I uh, yeah, internet. Hey, it's international. Go figure. There's this thing. So, you are in south, south Central Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, Southeastern South Australia. Yeah. So, that's uh, in that good. So, imagine this big island the size of the United States and where Houston is in the United States is proportionally where I am in Australia. And I apologize for mispronouncing it. It's not Australia. It's Australia. Yeah, Australia. Australia. It's a, it's a, <laughs> so, yeah, w- the, the way you say it is the way a Southerner would say uh, south of Dallas, south of Dallas. And you say South Australia, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're south. We don't have grits, but we're <laughs> south. <laughs> I'm reading this fascinating book right now called um, uh, The Mother Tongue English and How It Got That Way. And it's talking about the accents and the divergences. And it's just, I really geek out on that sort of stuff. Uh, but it, it uh, there's a whole section there on how the Australian accent doesn't seem to conform with any other derivation of English. You know, it's, it's not quite British English and it's certainly not American English. The only thing it's kind of close to is New Zealand, which is, you know, logical since you're, you're back door neighbors there. But, uh, um, it's it's interesting that that particular group of people adapted a language differently than other people have adopt, adapted the same language. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like a Cockney English sort of derivative. Right. It, it, it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's funny you should say that, though. I was standing in the airport yesterday and waiting for my flight, my domestic flight connection in Australia. And whenever you want to understand accents, watch a two-year-old child talk. Because you will immediately come to grips with the fact that they talk 50% like a two-year-old and 50% of the accent dialect in which their parents are raising them. So, it was just really unusual to hear a two-year-old Australian child talking about, you know, what two-year-old kids talk about, but with this pronounced Australian accent. And I realized right there and then, yep, I'm back. It's actually read a study uh, recently. It was it was in another book that I was reading. Uh, they quoted a study where uh, you can track that back to hours after birth. A a uh, a, a mewling infant 
only hours old will make sounds similar to the accent of the mother's language meaning you know in in utero the child has been listening to the intonations and inflections of those around it and have already adapted it even before birth wow that's interesting see my daughter after 18 months she was raised in the united states in california for the most part and so her accent is extremely american i mean i couldn't detect her accent away from any other american accent um and when she comes to Australia, she's the odd one out because she's the American in Australia, although she was born in Australia. Right. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. The whole thing's kind of weird. I've got friends back in Texas. They're first generation. Uh, well, the children are first generation Americans. The The parents are, are Mexican nationals. So they came. Uh, the father was a professor, came to the university. I grew up in a university town. And so three of the four children uh, have that pronounced um uh, Mexican accent. They speak Spanish fluently. Spanish was the the language spoken around the home. Uh, but when the fifth one uh, or the, the fourth one came along, the parents had decided that they wouldn't uh, do that. They wanted their child to to speak English. Uh, so this this fourth child talks like this and is clearly a Mexican, but she don't speak no Spanish. Uh, and it's just an odd <laughs> thing. So her her brother and her sisters uh, uh, speak fluent spanish look they all look mexican obviously because they're descendants of first generation mexicans um they look uh, mexican they speak spanish fluently and then there's the last one who looks like all the others but sounds like an east texas you know uh, hillbilly it's crazy <laughs> and she don't speak no spanish at all <laughs> and so her whole family can have whole conversations in their quote native tongue that she doesn't understand anyway that's why hard sometimes growing up and then i worked diligently uh to avoid sounding like i'm from east texas i don't mind sounding southern i i still don't put g's on my ing's and i'm more likely to say i than i uh but starting at like seventh grade i I tried diligently to purge myself of that hey you're from wolf city ain't you uh accent and so frequently people ask me where did you grow up like before i moved to to atlanta where, where are you from about 15 miles that way <laughs> really <laughs> you don't talk like them no no i don't yeah and also uh no little known fact is if you watch roughly eight hours of television a day that will go a long way to purge your accent that's true well. too and, and Very true and it's that language that nobody speaks At television in every country is a language nobody speaks Right. The, 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 I'm sure it's true in Australia, right? There, the Australian media language, the dialect, the, the accent is not true to any actual humans within Australia, right? It's true. It's absolutely true. There's, it's almost like radio speak. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's like a presentational dialect and, and, and nobody would meet your friends down at the pub for a beer you're not going to go and here is mark today how's you know no it's not going to happen like that (laughs) i like to uh, to watch um and laugh at uh, american newscasters because they have it's not just the language they use but it's the pronunciation and the cadence and uh it is it is so artificial um that it just it screams you know newscaster uh but they try to pass themselves off as you know one of us but when but it's it's not it's just so weird it's this package product that you know, doesn't there, there resemble is, reality there is something noticeable though the american pr- 
presentation. Maybe it's a, a history of Hollywood thing, but the presentation that is done so well in film and in radio and in television is ultimately the 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 standard that everybody aspires to. And I think that a lot of that comes down to simple confidence behind a microphone or a camera or something like that, that there is a, a natural sort of um, Hollywood nature to it that all of the other countries on the planet tend to aspire to be like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean taking the dialect exactly the same way, but the, the mannerisms and the confidence of presentation uh, is the gold standard is, is, is in the U.S. It's true. I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing, but it is a true thing. So moving on, I violated one of my uh, rules of life today. Um, I've, I've talked about them rep- uh, from time to time over the years that we've done the show. I have several um, just general rules that I live my life by. And one of those rules is uh, if a purchase uh, exceeds $500, you take at least 24 hours to make that purchase. Don't buy anything that costs more than $500 unless you spend at least 24 hours on it, except when you have um, a family of five, three of which are teen and preteen daughters and your washing machine breaks. Then you go buy one right now. Uh, Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, We have a a washing machine that is, has been dying for a while. Um, The, the, the bearing that supports the, the spin basket, um, is wearing out. We had a guy come out like three years ago and look at it and said, to replace this, my fees alone would be almost as much as a new machine. It's just not worth the effort uh, to repair it. Ride it until it dies and then get you a new one. And so we've been riding it for three years, just expecting it to, to die at any moment. Well, last night during an 850 RPM spin cycle, that piece broke and it spun out of control and bounced around so hard that it, it literally shook the house. My children came downstairs thinking there was a, an earthquake. It was that violent. The machine began to walk out of the closet that it was in, banged into the, the dryer, actually moved the dryer. This was a, 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 an explosive event. Um, and, of course, because it died during a wash cycle, there's you know 80 pounds of wet laundry there, Plus the three loads that were in line waiting to be done. Um, so th- we had to go to the, the laundromat today, which I have to say was a, a rather wondrous experience. It was these giant like six load machines that we just shoved stuff into. It was one of the three places in the world that tap to pay is available. I, I mean, I see it at M- McDonald's and Walgreens and that's, that's like it. But these, these laundry, the machines at the laundromat, not only did they work, they worked perfectly smoothly. I just passed my phone in front of it and and it was done. Um, and it was, it was clean and bright and well, it went very different than the laundromat that I took my laundry to when I was in college, very different experience. And so we did all our laundry about it in about an hour. And then we went to several stores and made a, a, a ridiculous purchase. Um, just ridiculously expensive to be honest with you. Uh, but again, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You can save money or you can save your marriage. And in this case, the marriage wins. 
Well, see, Mark, this is an example where you have become derelict in your duties of living up to the standards you set for yourself. Why did you not have the spreadsheet started three years ago when he said, write it till it drops? Why? I don't understand. I would figure you would have a spreadsheet decision tree, uh, you know, with automatic links that populate from Amazon Prime or elementop.com slash Amazon that would continually update the best deals sorted by price and then, you know, subsorted by reviews. This is all on you. You're, you're, Nobody else's fault but you for not being prepared. You're mocking me, but I did already have a number of saved searches where I have been doing research on washing machines um, just for this a moment. So, yeah, it wasn't quite to the ex- extent that you, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm ashamed that your mockery was was not effective. <laughs> What brand, what brand did you end up getting? So we ended up going with the LG, which uh, uh, Consumer Reports uh, um, consistently ranks as one of the top two. It's between uh, LG and Samsung. They're battling right now between top uh, customer satisfaction. Uh, what I've discovered is nobody builds a machine that they expect to last more than a couple of years. Just, it just doesn't exist anymore. You know, It used to be that you bought a machine, 20 years was the expectation. And everything I've seen, even, you know, the, the highest rated, uh, GE and Kenmore elite were the two highest rated, um, in terms of, uh, repairs, uh, from original sale and their, their rate was like 80% after the third year. So it's just, it's just expected that you're buying a three to five year machine and then it's going to die, which was so just you, really disappointing to that, me. Did you get that extended warranty thing or? I, you know, my, my general rule is that you shouldn't do that because the odds are all in the house. If they're trying to push you into that, it must mean that it's beneficial to them and not beneficial to you. You know, it's kind of a, a general rule of thumb. If a bank or a, a merchant wants you to have something, they want them to have it and not you. But to answer your question, yes, I did because I'd done my research and, and things just don't last. So I bought a uh, uh, manufacturer's warranty plus three years. So I'll get uh, five years total right yeah i i had a samsung die on me after two years uh, and it was brand new from from the store and i did not buy the extended warranty on that thing i usually don't i mean i don't normally buy extended warranties on anything most of the t- the things that i buy i can probably fix myself but washing machines not so much so yeah i made the mistake of not buying it and it died one month after the warranty expired so yep and then I bought two LG units, you know, the, the washer and the dryer, with the extended warranty, and I've never been happier. So I think you made a good decision. Yeah, I went with LG, and I went with the extended warranty. Um, yeah, but my wife was, she is, I, I, I call her every salesman's dream. She buys everything, uh, all the marketing hype. Uh, she's just, she's the perfect customer. Um, and so I kind of have to reel her back on a regular basis. She's looking at the things like, oh, this has steam cleaning features and, and, and remotes. There's a, there's an app, uh, you can hook it up to the Wi-Fi and control it that way. Honey, what, what stain can you not get out of the clothes that you have now that you need steam? Well, I don't know. Sometimes I have to run them twice. Yeah. Is that running twice worth $800 more? <laughs> Think about that. Uh, so you know what i have to interject some some rationality in there but in the end um i i'm i'm pretty comfortable that we made uh reasonable uh, uh purchasing decisions that were not the lowest end you could buy but certainly not the highest end either 
Yeah. So are, th- are these things like internet connected now? They are. They yeah. The 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 machine that we bought oh. the LG. Uh, there's an there's an app that you can download and yeah uh, like I don't under I don't really know what the value of it is. Like you can start your laundry when you're not at home. Well, that means you had to have loaded it. So why didn't you start it then? Maybe somebody was in the shower, right, or something. But our old machine, which is uh, 14-ish, 13-ish years old, it's 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 over a decade, but not quite 15. It's somewhere in, in, in that range. Uh, had a delay, so you could set a delay of like 45 minutes if somebody was in the shower. So I'm not really sure I understand the value of the app. But yeah, it was a very uh, prominent uh, sales tactic for all the major brands. They all had them. I mean, you couldn't anything over like $400 was going to have that already. So I don't know why, but it's, it's a thing. You know, I bought a uh, washing machine, I guess it was about two years ago now. And it's one of those auto sensing things. And mm-hmm. I've been setting that I've, I've, you know, watched it. So it's like, okay, I got to get this load done and start another one. And I will watch it go from like 18 minutes down to 15 minutes down to like 12 minutes up to 18 minutes, up to 22 <laughs> minutes, come back an hour later, it's still at 22 minutes. And then, so, you know, used to in the old days, you just turn the dial and that when that dial stopped, you knew it was going to be done. And now, I mean, it takes me two hours to wash one load of clothes and, you know, like an hour to dry them. So I was like, this is pathetic. You know, you could have load in the dryer and a load done in the washer waiting to move, but nope. Two hours or more to wash a load of clothes with these auto sensing, you know, features that do nothing but just suck money from you. You need to use the high efficiency soap and you need to use less of it. That's that's your issue. I do use the high efficiency soap and I don't ever put up to the maximum amount. If if you're seeing that behavior, use less. Keep backing it off until you don't see that because what's happening is it's not it's rinsing and sensing you, I remember out there where you live, you have very soft water, and so you need less soap even than that. It's rinsing, it's detecting particles, resetting the timer, rinsing, detecting particles, resetting the timer. So that's your that's your problem. It won't matter. We're all doomed because now we're all internet enabled. Some Iranian is going to Stuxnet your washing machine and turn it into a centrifuge. I bet I just got hacked as somebody who's bored and is playing with my machine. <laughs> I know that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to hook these up to the Wi-Fi, but if they do, they'll definitely be on the guest Wi-Fi. So they will have access to the internet, but nothing else in my home. Um, because, I, you know, IOT, the S stands for security. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so, you know, Miles, what happens if you don't uh, move, advance and invest in the future? You end up stuck in the, the previous decade or more. Oh yeah. Um we okay, so airports. Airports are my focus here. I landed in Sydney uh something like a day or two ago. And uh Sydney is a very busy airport. A huge amount of Asian uh uh tourists and, and uh immigrants coming through Sydney. Uh, so we're talking, you know, an airport that not maybe as bu- busy and big as say JFK or LAX, but Certainly in Australia, it's the busiest airport they've got. Got off the plane and walked, uh, you know, from the... Because you're on the international arrival, so you go to go through all this security corridors and stuff to get to actually immigration and so on. And um, 
came face to face with the fact that uh, I guess like uh, many countries now with uh, passports, we've got like little RFID chips in them now. And um, a lot of the uh, countries, in order to speed up entrance into a country, they've got what is looks kind of like an ATM machine. And you walk up to it with your passport and you put it kind of picture page down and the thing reads electronically your passport, identifies who you are, and then you answer a couple of security questions like you're not bringing in weapons or something like that. And um, it gives you a little tag that apparently speeds up the process. You still have to go in front of a human being to get through. Well, um, not so much in Sydney. They've got all the ATM machines there. And I got off a plane with, I don't know, 300 people on it. Uh, and none of the machines worked. We were all stuck waiting to go through immigration for hours because none of the infrastructure worked at all. It was completely disastrous. And anyway, having got through that, um, look, you know, problems happen. That's no big deal. You know, you get over it. Um, we get through, we go down the other end, we get past all the baggage and, and we're out. Uh, unlike major airports, particularly domestic airports, let's take, for example, Dallas, which is very well interconnected with monorail or rail between the terminals, and it's very simple. Um, not so much in Sydney. You get off an international flight and you walk downstairs. There's no escalators. There might be an elevator somewhere, but it's hidden away somewhere only for the elite to know about. You are walking with bags downstairs and you get to the end of the international terminal and you have to make a domestic connection. What does that mean? It means you actually have to go to a bus station. You literally have to go to a bus station, you have to transfer to the domestic terminal, and then you have to lift all your bags up onto a bus and then the bus takes you to the next terminal, puts you off, and then immediately you're, plant, you're looking at about, I don't know, 30 yards worth of a flight of stairs you've got to walk up. Again, no, no escalator, no elevators, stairs with all your bags. Up you go to get to the domestic terminal. This is insane. And the reason why I'm kind of really critical of this is that this is the welcome to Australia that they should never have. And the other problem is this is a country that just had, well, for a while back, went through 10 years of being the, the resource capital of the world. And China used it as a sort of backyard, dig any iron ore up out of the ground you want to build their infrastructure. This place made mega bucks on resource uh, and, and none of it got reinvested in infrastructure. And this is what it looks like. You know, I I look at airports that are domestic in the US and they are way better than this one. Dallas is great. Phoenix is great. Um, I, I can't understand why a country will not invest in its own infrastructure like this and then consider that it wants to com uh, compete on the world stage. Impressions are important. No matter how impressive the Sydney Opera House may be, if you went through a third world experience to get there, that's what you're going to remember as an international visitor. Yeah, it's hard for me to, you know, I don't want to come across like I'm really critical of my, my home country. But when you A, B, compare it from where you, where you came from to where you have to go. Um, and friends of mine here, who a friend of mine just got back from China, and he was telling me of his experience there. It was incredible. What he was explaining was, it was like 
Emirates first class everywhere he went just to to go from city to city even small metropolitan airports were beautifully structured in China and yet um, countries that refuse to invest in their own infrastructure and use any form of excuse like oh the political party in power is going you know is up for re-election next year so we're not going to invest in anything you're not doing a service to your people because your people need to be able to compete on the world stage and this doesn't help Okay, so, well, your yeah. first mistake was assuming that the government had any desire to do anything beneficial for the people. So, first of all, we need to nip that one in the bud. <laughs> and then after it's we've true. done that, we can continue with the discussion. But <laughs> Yeah, it is true. It is true. Uh, but, you know, it and it just seems like there's a lot of basic – there's basic mistakes – going on that anybody could see and easily address and easily make a statement of, you know, we need to do this. And I know right now, look, the United States, we're not investing in infrastructure. At least bills are not being brought forward politically to do that. And I think they'd get bipartisan support. I don't think there'd be a big issue with that. Um, but I would just use Sydney Airport as, a, as the poster child of what you don't want to happen uh, because it's it doesn't help. All right. Yeah, no, and actually there is a big fight going on right now about an infrastructure bill and how it's going to be paid for. So they're trying to, do we raise the gas tax? Well, that's not as effective as it used to be because cars get better gas mileage and there's more electric out there. So what, how are we going to pay for it? So, and because neither side is willing to raise taxes, which, you know, has its merits and its attractions. Nobody's bringing forth the infrastructure bill. They're blaming the other party on why they can't do it. And so that's one of the many things going on in Capitol Hill that nobody knows about because, you know, the media, you know, carefully massages a uh, Trump quote to make him say something he didn't say. And so everybody's mad about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I and mean, you know, I, it's funny if you if you bring everything down to a sort of local cultural level and you talk about, you know, talking to people at work or or whatever about various topics. If I was to say to somebody, you know, I had to go and spend $2,000 to buy a new laptop. And and if I was to say that to say a family member that didn't know that I worked in the computer industry, they'd go, "Oh, wow, you spent a lot of money. Do you really need to spend two thousand dollars on a laptop? Wouldn't a five hundred dollar laptop do?" You know, and they'd have a good argument. But I can counter that in all cases when I say, "Yeah, but I use it for work," and immediately everybody gets that right. They go, "Oh, okay, well, fair enough. You know, you can justify it. It's what you need to make your income." Blah blah blah. Right, and that's a that's a localized version of investing in infrastructure. For me, I've got to have the right tools to be competitive, so I can get the job done, and I'm not going to burden my client by me taking five times longer to do something. And it seems to me that 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 rule, which we would all embrace at a sort of almost subconscious level, is not being done when you roll it up to the law, the levels of government. But, you know, at the same token, just to kind of switch sides on the side I'm bashing here, there's a <laughs> there's a section in, the, I mean, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to stir the pot and I'm just going to use whatever utensil at my, uh, at my, um, within Disposal. reach. That's, sorry, I can't think much now. Uh, me no think no more today. But I went 
by the store. And of course they are doing construction, you know, repaving because it's good to repave roads, you know, cars drive over them, big trucks that they weren't designed for, you know, and whatever. But in the meantime, there's the section between what is good and the driveway of the store I'm going into that is all broken up dirt. And, you know, my little tiny piece of poo poo car, you know, clunk, 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 getting over it. And I'm like, I wish they would never do road construction here again. So I'm mad at the government for bettering the infrastructure because of the momentary hassle it causes in my life. So multiply that times a thousand and then you don't want to invest in infrastructure because it's a headache to everybody. And then another place, the state came in and I don't know why. Well, I do know why, because it was stupid and inefficient. They went down the shoulder of the road and cut those divots in. So whenever you pull off to turn or whatever, you know, it just rattles your car. And um, they did that on both sides and then right down the middle. And I'm like, you know, we're drowning in debt and you're wasting money on this. Why? So, yeah, go infrastructure spending. Well, my dad used to have a statement when I was a kid, uh, a little saying, and I, I probably will take it to the grave because I believe in it a lot. And that is success is, is when preparedness meets opportunity. And right now, preparedness is all about infrastructure being right where you need it to be so you can take advantage of it. And I think that right now... This place has got some serious catch-up to do. Well, the, the issue is infrastructure is mostly invisible, and when it's not invisible, it's not sexy. Um, and businesses run into the same thing. You know, the IT guy says we need to completely revamp our entire data infrastructure, and it's going to cost four point three million. And the boss says, "Well, what's the return on investment on that?" And he says, "Well, you won't crash." Uh, and and it's it's a hard sell all the way around. And when when you have a fickle public, when the mob essentially is making that decision, um, it's it's really hard to spend money on invisible things. And it's not until the bridge collapse collapses or the water supply uh, is fouled or the electric electrical grid fails that anybody's interested in. It. And then the first thing they have to do is decide who's to blame, and then repair it just enough to get it functional, not where it actually needs to be. And, you know, we kind of, in a, in a lot of ways, we get what we deserve. And, and we as, as, as individuals, when was the last time you went up in your attic and checked your, your insulation? When was the last time you crawled under your house and checked the status of your pipes? We don't look at infrastructure either until it breaks. So, you know, we, we get what we deserve, plain and simple. Yep. No, we do. I mean, I had my uh, uh, garbage disposal rusted out, ruined my kitchen floor. You know, had I crawled under it every couple of months and looked for rust, wouldn't have been a problem. But it's infrastructure. It's invisible. It's there. Literally, the garbage disposal is invisible, and you don't see it until it causes damage. Um, so it's, it's I would love to, to jump on the government bashing bandwagon. I really would, but I just can't in this case. I got, uh, it's interesting talking about that, bringing it back home. Um, before making this trip, we had had a, a water leak. In, in Phoenix, an uh, exterior pipe burst, uh, irrigation pipe. No one caught the water flow uh, until maybe six hours had run. And so, uh, you know, big 
pile of water goes down the street. Not a good thing to do in the desert, of course. Uh, but we ended up getting a bill from the city, and it was like $400 for water. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So th- there has to be a way to detect this. So, of course, putting on my geek hat, I immediately raced to the internet and uh, worked out that uh, if my plumber, which I had to bring in to fix the pipe anyway, I had him reroute a whole bunch of pipes to enable the installation of, of two little geek technical devices that I put on the water. And again, this is kind of infrastructure related. One is a, a an an is Z-Wave compatible flow meter. And what that means is that when the water flow goes through the pipes, the meter registers the level of flow and then it wirelessly sends that data back using the Z-Wave protocol to my home automation control system. So I can then write uh, rules inside of the code for this that detects when water is running at a certain level for a certain period of time that is outside of normal... uh, you know, thresholds. And if that's the case, I can say, okay, alert me, like, you know, text my phone or email me or something like that. Then I found with a little more searching, you can also get internet compatible connected water shutoff valves. So what I thought was, okay, so if the rule is that the water flow exceeds the thresholds that you set for it for a period of time, then have the automated controller send the shutoff valve an instruction to shut off the water and avoid the $400 water bill. So, I don't know. I didn't get it installed before we left. We ran out of time. But I ordered all the parts, so I'm going to get this done when I get back. And maybe the robots can do this stuff. I don't know. But it, it actually wasn't that expensive. I mean, my total cost on adding these devices to the existing plumbing was 400 bucks for everything? Um, so yeah, so that I, that I one water bill can be cheap. If it saves you that one water water bill one time, you're even, and if it does it twice, you're ahead. Exactly. Yeah. You can check and see. A lot of times, there's credits for stuff like that, but because it's not major, you know, green credits that are offered by sometimes the federal government or state or local municipalities will offer you a credit of some type if you install something like that. Uh, that's a way that most people don't think about. They just go ahead and do, but you know, going green, saving the planet, maybe you could save your pocketbook twice. That's a good point. I mean, I know that a lot of homeowners policies nowadays don't include flood insurance. Right. And, uh, often they don't tell you that they don't include flood insurance until it's too late. Uh, and water damage can be enormously expensive and totally avoidable. So fingers crossed. This, this might work. Of course, you know, with my luck, it'll happen and my automation system has crashed or something. But <laughs> thankfully, it hasn't actually crashed for years, so I should be in good shape. Well, my plan for, you know, uh, the, the garbage disposal, for example, um, is I've got a small pan under it if it starts leaking. And I bought a $10 Honeywell mo- moisture alarm that I throw in the pan. So if water builds up in the pan, it beeps. Now I know I need to replace the garbage disposal and I don't have to replace my kitchen floor again. Simple things like that, you know. Um, we just need to figure out what the, you know, equivalent versions of that for a failing road system are or, uh, you know, an electrical grid. And I think the real problem is that the alarms have been going off for decades and nobody's willing to do anything about it. Infrastructure. Make it, make it a priority. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, we ought to. 
We should uh, we should get on that and maybe form a committee to see which infrastructure <laughs> plans need to be prioritized and expedited. And if we get input from all of the relevant parties, then we can draft a resolution to create some legislation down the road to address this. How does that sound? With I synergy. might run for office. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 oh, man. Years ago, uh, I thought what, how, how refreshing it would be if a uh, a politician ran on a platform of I guarantee your taxes will go up if I'm elected, but here's what you'll get for those taxes. I, I wondered what the what the response to that would be. Of course, the the knee jerk conservative in me says, "Well, no, I'm not going to vote for a guy who says my taxes are going to go up." But if he lays out a, a plan for here's what you get, you know, here's what it costs because this this is what mechanics do and what plumbers do and what what anybody does. You set out a, a request for proposal and people uh, send back their bid and they say for these things you'll pay this much. How interesting would it be if a politician did that? Uh, a president, a governor, uh, a mayor, and said, here's, here's what you get. Now, now I, I, I have a feeling what you're going to say, Seth, is that we're already wasting enough money to pay for all those things. But let's say we included that in the thing and said that here's here's the waste that's already happening. I'm going to clean that up. Um, here's the things that need to be done. We don't have it. Here's your taxes are going to go up if you pay for it. I, I, you know, I, I, I would I would be interested to see that politician run. Now, Seth, go. you know, but here here's the thing. Uh, Bernie Sanders actually got more human votes in the primary Democratic primary than Hillary did. And he just said, I'm going to raise your taxes. You may or may not get anything out of it. And he got more actual people votes than Hillary did. So, I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean? People votes as opposed to as opposed to the super delegates and all the way the Democratic uh, primary system is set up. So it is set up to where the actual votes you can. It's set up sort of like the way the uh, the elect, the electoral college is. You can win the popular vote, but still lose the primary. I don't understand how it is. I'm I'm not a political scholar by any means, but my understanding is, you know, pop it just in terms of raw vote count, he won. Yeah, you know, he did a really interesting thing the way he sold and packaged up his ideas. Because if, you, if you're if you a holistic thinker, um, you would make the... It would be easy to draw the line that says, okay, let's say that I'm self-employed and I've got to buy my own health insurance for my family. And that's going to cost, I don't know, $500 a month. Um, and th- then you add to that all the taxes you're paying. If he was to come by and say, look, we could do a single payer health insurance system and I can do it by because I'm going to force everyone to be involved, your pro- your actual cost is going to be $400 a month, but instead of writing the check to insurance company ABC over here, you're going to write the check to Uncle Sam. I, can, I could get on board with that, but what they don't tell you is, yeah, but there's only one Uncle Sam and there's no competition. So there's absolutely no guarantee that what we're going to provide you is going to be any good anyway. And there's no there's no competitive pressure on us to make our serve do a better job. So that's what you get. And that's what he didn't tell you. <laughs> so there's, there's I, two sides to every story, but he sold it very well. I wish you hadn't invoked healthcare so early on. We we, we could have because we're going to have a discussion about that in a little bit, and you kind of ruined you. You let you, my powers ah, run. Um, sorry, sorry, man. 
But uh, first, <laughs> Do you want to switch around your order here. <laughs> first, we need to get in a little bit of uh, listener feedback, and then we'll get to that. Uh, Paul uh, says that I uh, I crossed a line. And, you know, I put people who complain about me to the top of the list uh, because I believe in being uh, responsible uh, for my actions. And I believe that if I have wronged somebody, uh, it should be uh, publicly and and pr- promptly uh, rectified. And so uh, Paul says that, uh, Mark, you went beyond the pale in 307. To call your podta- podcast Drive Time Radio for Geeks is one thing. But when people are operating motor vehicles, you can't just casually throw around a phrase like poo roller. So I, I don't remember having done that, but I deeply apologize uh, if I uh, caused any sort of damage uh, or uh, dismay uh, to uh, as a result of my uh, ill-thought-out and, and um, ill-spoken uh, turn of phrase. I don't re- – I mean, I you know, I listen to our podcast, and I don't remember hearing Poo Roller. So I wonder is I wonder if maybe he misheard. I mean, I'm not going to go back and listen to it again, but I wonder if he, if he Well, you know, I've got too many podcasts to listen to and I'm trying to catch up on all the back episodes. So um I wonder if he misheard. I I don't know. We had a wide-ranging conversation in 307. True. Anyway, I don't I don't I don't know what I what context I could have said that, but uh apparently <laughs> bad things happened or could have happened okay but i could understand how you would say that because we were talking about social justice warriors smoking and how you don't like smoking and you're asthmatic so okay when you said that phrase i'm now gonna say all of a sudden i have this mental image of you saying poo roller so okay i i would probably wager money now that you actually did say as instead of like a smoker i'm a poo roller yeah that okay i probably did say that (laughs) sorry paul sorry uh and then john mark um sent me about 419 messages over okay maybe three over the last couple of days um and uh, over a wide range of things and this one i just I, i just liked what it had to say it didn't really seem to fit with anything at all uh but i liked it so John Mark says stuff. Um, I've noticed the vintage computer festivals are increasing in popularity, so I wonder if perhaps this trend is not unique to vintage computing. Perhaps the internet has allowed many such festivals to thrive. Do an internet search for beer festival, quilt festival, Glenn Miller festival, big band festival and such. Look at the variety of podcasts. Look at all the new variety of music in the last 35 years. Look at all the new variety of political views. How does the 26-volume Encyclopedia Britannica care to the approximately 1,000-volume Wikipedia? I encourage you to attend a festival. Isolation is not good. This is a good time to be alive. Signed, John Mark. Uh, great. I think it's just, yeah, yeah. I think it's because we're all getting older. I think there's a, there's a group of us, which were all around back in the early days, and we all cut our teeth and maybe created careers or had great positive experiences based around early technologies, whether it be cars or computers or music or whatever, and we're all getting older. And you get to a certain point in life where you sort of say, I'm at that midpoint where I can look back half of my life and see things, and I look and look forward half. And I want to put the connect the dots i want to go back to what brought me here and relive that so that i can then go ahead and uh look forward and and connect it all together and vintage computer festivals are a great way that people who were all 
from that era can get together and share their experiences and bring back the good old days. That is true. You know, we had a conversation um, last week or maybe two weeks ago about uh, job obsolescence and, um, you know, uh, failing careers and that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, I, I had a just something I noticed today uh, when I was out, you know, looking for a new washing machine. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the best, uh, highest ranked uh, most common places to buy washing machines is uh, Home Depot and Lowe's and hardware stores like that, where it used to be, you know, Sears or, or the appliance store. But anyway, I noticed um, I spend a lot of time at, at hardware stores. It's it's sort of my happy place. I go to the plumbing aisle and just invent in my mind, if I plug this into that and attach this and drill a hole through that. It's it's like a candy land for me. Um, but I've noticed that Home Depot in particular has many, many, many second career people there. You, you can talk to these guys. You know, the guy in the plumbing aisle was a plumber for 30 years. The guy in the electrical aisle was an electrician. Um, the guy in the paint aisle was a painter. And, and it occurred to me that there's this wealth of opportunity for people who, for whatever reason, have left their first career. Maybe maybe a painting robot puts you out of a job. Um, there is expertise to be shared at these places. And Home Depot, I'm calling you out for being good, is a company that seems to recognize the value that we have in these people of, of, you know, these other careers, you know, maybe, maybe they just retired maybe they got tired. Maybe they were a cop and eventually their body couldn't handle it anymore. Whatever the reasons are, um, places like that, hardware stores, uh, construction type places tend to be a locus for second careers. So if you're worried about a robot taking your first career, you know, think of the value you can add based on your first career in a second career, just a little okay. freebie there. Now, Mark, everybody just said, Mark, you are making that up. And here's how I know that. Because I walk down the vacant aisles of Home Depot past other customers with bewildered look on their faces and say, I have money to spend if I can only find someone to help me. Me, me, me. <laughs> and that, you know, and then when I do find someone, he's from the other side of the store who was on his way either to or from the bathroom, and then he's got to go find someone else. And by which time, I forgot what I came into Home Depot for. It's been so long. And I had to go eat lunch and come back. So I think you're just making that up. I'm going to call BS on that one. All right, maybe there's a significant difference between uh, your local Home Depot or Depot and my local Home Depot. But uh, here, uh, at least in, in uh, suburban Atlanta, Georgia, uh, there there is a, a wealth of second and third career people working at these locations. Yeah, I, I had the same experience at Lowe's the other day. I had to go and get a, a hammer drill. And the guy who the guy who sold it to me gave me the history of hammer drills and I you know everything about them, what the best bits to use are, how to do this, how to choose the right thing. I, I couldn't have asked for more information. I thought the guy was really great. Uh, and yeah, I'll go back there because it's free info. It's good good to good to have. We need to name this episode Shangri La. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it used to be where I where I grew up. It was the local Ace Hardware. Those guys knew everything. Mm. Um, and the little town I used to work in, it was Smith's Hardware. It was named after the owner, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, in case you couldn't figure that out. Um, and he had a, a team of people working there that 
knew everything about everything. And you'd you'd go in and say, what, what can I do for you? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure what I need. Okay, what are you trying to do? Well, I've got this piece here, and I need to connect it to a piece that's about three times larger and, and right-angled and threaded uh, wrong. And the guy thinks for a minute and says, I've got that. And he weaves his way through the stores and he comes back with this thing that was forged in the fires of the first primordial explosions of earth and says, here you go. We've had this for a while. It might work. Uh, that place was magical. It truly was. Yeah. I recall places like that from my youth. And now they're big who box needs stores. Them now we got, yeah, but who needs them now? We got YouTube, right? We got Amazon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon is my teacher, man. Anytime I need to know anything, I go to Amazon. I can't can't even come up with an example right now. It's such a commonplace part of my life. I don't know how to do something. YouTube, how to do whatever that is. And there's six guys with videos telling me how to do it. Anyway, okay. Uh, So the news story, this was uh, provided by a listener. Um, Was it Ala? Yes. Ala, uh, uh, who is sometimes in the chat room as uh, Ala. You might have noticed. Uh, and he sent this uh, article from uh, the uh, the telegraph.co.uk. Uh, and so this is three American guys talking about something that's happening in the UK. Um, so admittedly, we're not going to have a lot of expertise about it. But the NHS, uh, which is the National Health Service, uh, it's the public health services of, of England and Scotland and the the... the Scottish Isles, the British Isles, whatever you call those things there. Um, And essentially, they're what the people like Miles was talking about, the single-payer health thing. They're what uh, the single-payer health people want America to be. They want to have a single authority for all things health-related. Does that sound accurate so far, gentlemen? Yep. Yep. All right. So the National Health Services, um, which is in charge of uh, National Health Service, excuse me, which is in charge of of essentially healthcare for all of the UK. Um, so they have a single payer system there. Uh, if you want to be a doctor, you work for the NHS. And I welcome any um, people from the UK to correct me on this at any point. Um, well, obviously after the podcast, because you can't call me up and interrupt me. You can jump in the chat room over at elementopi.com slash live and do that. Uh, but this is my understanding of it. So if you work, if you're a doctor, you essentially work for either directly or indirectly for the NHS. If you're uh, a hospital um, owner, you don't really own a hospital there, I guess. They're all government owned. I, I don't know. I'm speaking out of ignorance. But essentially, this is the central governing authority. Uh, and so they handed down a decision on 17 October 2017. So just uh, about 12 days ago. That says, um, and quoting from the Telegraph, the NHS will ban patients from surgery indefinitely unless they lose weight or quit smoking under a controversial plan drawn up in Hertfordshire. Uh, The restrictions thought to be the most extreme yet to be introduced by health services immediately came under attack from the Royal College of Surgeons. You think? Uh, So I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but basically, if you're fat or you're a smoker, they will deny you health care. Discuss. Go, Miles. I'll let you go first this time. Um, okay, there's a business opportunity right there, isn't there? 
I mean, somebody will say, well, they might deny it, but I won't. Come to me and I'll do the best service. At but this can price you? Are you allowed to be a private practice in, in the UK? Are you allowed to be a private physician? You are making my argument for me, Mark. <laughs> this is the problem when you're not allowed to be a private physician or you're competing against a monopoly which has government support. No, the whole thing is messed up and it's it's wrong and what right does the government have to tell you how to live your life? You make your own choice. You put into your body whatever you want to choose to, and you have 100% the right to do anything you wish to do it. You make a mistake or, or you don't make a mistake. That's your decision. It's your right, and it should be left to you. That, okay, but that's, my- that's just me projecting, you know. <laughs> well, now, here's here's the problem. These plans... They're aimed, you know, we've talked about the regressive tax. You know, we tried to get people to quit smoking in America by raising the tax on cigarettes so much that it's just no longer cost effective to, you know, relax by smoking a cigarette. So we tried to price that out of the market. So what they are trying to do is encourage people to take responsibility for their own health and their own well-being. And this helps free up the limited NHS resources available for priority treatment. Because in England, you have a graying population where the percentage of the population that is elderly is growing. So, you know, And that means that you have less money coming into the system. Sure, there's more doctors and nurses now than there used to be, but there is more of a demand on healthcare. So if we can do something that will reduce the demand on healthcare, then that makes better service for everyone. And the low hanging fruit is fat people have more problems. Smokers have more problems. Maybe not in day one, but in, you know, day 49,758, they start to experience a lot more problems. So if we can nip that in the bud now, has the graying population percentage of the country increases, the smoking percentage will decrease and the obese percentage will decrease and it will help us to get ahead or maintain or possibly catch up with the um, healthcare needs that are not only today, but also of the future. So in a government-run model, you simply don't have the resources to treat everyone. So therefore, you have to triage the situation and figure out where your limited resources will do the most good. And therefore, I do not see a problem from an ethical viewpoint because if you waste all your money on the fat smokers, then whenever somebody who has tried to take care of themselves has a problem, then there's a two-month wait. Well, the problem is they died six weeks into that two-month wait. And your uh, your statement is buttressed by a statement uh, made by uh, in this article, uh, the CCG. I don't know what that is. I didn't read that far in. Uh, it says, quote, this policy is designed to improve patient safety and outcome both during and immediately after uh, non-urgent surgery. No financial savings are expected as a result of these measures. We do, however, hope to improve the long-term health of our residents through the targeted stop smoking and weight loss support on offer to patients. In other words, as you said, um, uh, fat people don't heal as well after surgery as thin people and smokers don't heal as well after surgery as non-smokers. Therefore, if we don't operate on these people, our success rates will go up. And it all depends on what you're measuring. If you're measuring post-surgery success rates, then not operating on people who are less likely to have a positive outcome seems like a pretty good metric. 
Yeah, this is so wrong <laughs> <laughs> on so many levels. I mean, look, I, I you know, I've seen this happen in so many different ways and in different countries too. Um, you can't tell people how to live their lives. If you go in there and try to tell people how they should look, how they should act, how they should think, how they should do all these things, you create a robot race that is great because it will serve a predictable common endpoint for some fascist ruler or some dictatorial ruler. Sure, that might work. You can't, you don't have the right to do that. We're all individuals. And what's better is for us to be working as a a decentralized network with a protocol where we communicate between each other that there are rules of engagement, that there are procedures and, and the way in which we can all communicate as a group and that we as a group can dictate what's best for for each of us based on just competitive... I've seen this. Look, the, the, my best, my best uh, example of this was to go to Mexico to get teeth done. I walk into an area with a four-block... Uh, area on the other side of the US border and there are 117 dentists competing for business and we got better quality service at a 30% of the price quoted in a oligarchy market that was the United States and we got a better quality end result a better quality uh, level of care with better facilities at a cheaper price who could ever ask for anything better than that so if anybody in the UK is obese and needs surgery, it's really easy. Get on a plane and go to Portugal or get on a plane and go to Costa Rica or get on a plane and go to Canada and pay a market price to get the service done there. And you'll never look back because you'll probably go, wow, I, my own country can't support me. But look what these guys have been willing to do for me. And I got it for a tenth of the price. Yeah, but I deserve to have the, all my health care for free because I'm a, a citizen of the, the UK. Therefore, uh, I should get this for free. I'm al- I've already paid for it with my taxes. Why do I have to pay for it again in Portugal? That's, that's unfair. I'm being double billed for the same procedure. When, no. when you were born, when you, when you were born out of a hospital and you happened to have been in the United States, you lived on planet Earth on a pla- on a piece of country that had these artificial borders written around it that were dictated from his, some historical revolution or fight or or some land grab or whatever happened that created that so-called country. But you're a you're a newborn person who has a human biological lifespan and will live X number of years, you don't care about no country. You're a human being on this planet. So for us to put country borders around the quality of your biological life is ridiculous and it's defeating the purpose of you as a human being. But my point is that... uh with it, with any nationalized health system that I'm aware of, and again, I'm not an expert in this sort of thing, but I've done some basic research, and basically strangers on the internet have told me things, um, and that is that they're all non-optional. You pay for them, period, end of discussion. Your taxes are, are mandated. They're the um, It is removed from your pay involuntarily to pay into the system. Therefore, you are a payer. You know, we talk about the single payer system. Well, that single payer is the populace every time because there is no other form of of money. All governments get their money from their people. Therefore, when it's a single payer system, the single payer is you. 
So if I have been paying into the system my entire life, I'm 45 years old and I need uh, a surgery of some sort, but I happen to be uh, have a BMI over 30% for 45 years, take away the years that I wasn't working. All right. So uh, make it 27 years. I have been paying into this system with my, with my money. And now you're telling me that because I also have a BMI over 30, I cannot make use of the money I have already spent. So we can take the the philosophical you're a human being argument and and we can have that discussion but i'm just talking about the financial one i've already paid for this the money has already been out like you're telling me that the system is bankrupt that there's not enough money for it i just want what i've already paid in i want the x thousands of dollars that i've already paid in to be earmarked for my care when i want it regardless of my bmi how is that a wrong thing to expect the needs of the many will always triumph over the needs of the few you are going to use more resources in treating you. We could save two or maybe even three regular weight people. Are but you I only want me? I only want the amount, the amount I've paid in. Give me services up to the amount I've paid in. At that point, bill me for the rest. Okay, but that's not your money. That's the government's money, and the government has hard choices to make because there's simply not enough resources to go around. If you would do your fair share and get a better job and make more money, then there would be more resources for the government to allocate for health care. So what so, you're saying is you're billing me for a service I can't that you can't provide? Is that is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the government is taking what rightfully belongs to it. In so in any other enterprise, the state. if you build me for a product that you couldn't supply, wouldn't that be con- uh, criminal malfeasance? And wouldn't I be able to sue you for that? Not when the government does it. <laughs> and don't forget the government writes the laws. So they define what is criminal malfeasance and what is not. I mean, Mark, if you were going to impose such arbitrary guidelines as logic and rationale, there wouldn't be enough politicians left to form a functioning government. We can't have that. There would be chaos in the streets. So how dare you assume that you one person. <laughs> I'm trying. How dare you assume that you one person know what is better for yourself than the government whose job it is to take their money from you. All I want is my fair share, Seth. Isn't that what every good socialist construct is about? Everybody pays their fair share. I just want to extract back my fair share. I've already paid my fair share. Why can't I then reap my fair share? Because it's not your fair share. Once you paid it, it belongs to the government. (laughs) And you trust the government to do what is best for you. When a child is sick and the only medicine tastes icky and yucky and it makes them have a sour face do you go and give them a coke and a candy bar no you give them the medicine and you tell them to shut up and take it oh i see now so the government knows better what i what is right for me than i do they are in fact a higher power with a greater level of knowledge and understanding than i could possess because they know facts that you are not privy to being a lowly citizen of the country Mm. so then who then are they accountable to they're the government what (laughs) makes you think they need to be accountable to anyone why would you raise so i mean do you are you a communist do you hate children (laughs) only only children that i don't pay for i love my children so so i got i'm gonna put a i 
I can hear your point, and you're right, Mark. I mean, it's criminal to have money taken out of your pocket, extorted, stolen from you by force, which they call taxes, <laughs> but taken from your pocket without you getting some value in return for that. That is criminal. We understand that. And bad NHS, they shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. They can argue that, well, you're never going to die if you get sick in, in the UK. Well, I, you know what? You're not really going to die anywhere. You get sick if you can find healthcare. Um, the question really comes down to how do you co- how are you paying for that? In the United States, we don't pay for that up front. Well, we do to some degree in Medicare and Medicaid, but we don't pay for private health insurance. We pay for that electively. Um, I, I believe personally that if you want to triumph in areas where your life is involved, your, your quality of and your longevity, healthcare, you have to take the matter into your own hands and you have to do, uh, you have to go where you're treated best, period. And that may not be your local country. And if you open yourself up to being willing to travel to another region, you will get the level of care at an affordable price and you will get what you deserve. And I guarantee one thing, nine times out of 10, I go to see my primary care physician or a primary doctor in a US hospital. The person who is giving me the service is probably from India or they're probably from you know, so they're, they're not local Americans. They're often brought in. And when I have a conversation, my doctor's from India, right? I was talking to her the other day and she was telling me she moved to the United States in 1998 or whatever. And I said, oh, I moved in 89 and we were having a, a good old conversation. And I, and, she, and I said, you know, it's interesting. I was, uh, I've got this, uh, you know, injury from an old car accident that's a pre-existing condition. I can't get it done. I was thinking about going down to Costa Rica and getting it done. And she looked at me. And I swear to God, she says, yeah, that's what I'd do. She's a doctor in the US. She's telling me to go to Costa Rica and get my shoulder fixed. Okay. What does that tell you? (laughs) That there are good doctors in Costa Rica. Right. The problem (laughs) is you are neglecting the underlying fact that there are only so many resources to go around. And studies have shown, and it's been documented by science, do you reject science (laughs) that people who are obese and smoke consume more resources than people who are in reasonably good health? And so if you go somewhere else, you are still depriving resources greater than your impact on society. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether you get them rationed by the government or go to some black market somewhere and you end up with unlicensed people doing things and then there's no recourse and then you put an even greater demand on the system to take care of you, thus cheapening the system and taking resources from where they could do more good. There are simply not enough resources to go around and that's why the government has to make the hard calls. So our friend Jinda in the chat room buttresses your point, Seth, by saying that his health insurance insurance charges more for smokers. So that makes sense. If you are, in fact, an excessive drain on the system because you're a smoker or like me because you're obese. I am obese. I'm not a smoker. Uh, I expect, I understand the reality is that it will cost more throughout the course of my life for my health care than for Miles, who's a relatively svelte individual, right? I, I get that. 
So why not just charge me more for it? Why not increase my taxes? How about a higher tax rate for people with a BMI over 30 rather than refusing the 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 contractually obligated health care? Isn't there some sort of contract there? Isn't that the way that works? If you pay this, we will provide this. That's how the single-payer health system is supposed to work. We take your money, involuntarily, I might add, and in, in, the, in the end, we provide you health care, involuntarily, I might add. We decide what you need and what you don't need. But if you're concerned that I'm going to take more than my fair share, increase the share that I have to pay. That seems rational and logical. But refusing to, uh, to treat me for a condition that other people are treated for, I can't see how that can be considered anything but discrimination. You made the choice to deny yourself treatment when you chose to have the supersized fry and the liter of cola with every meal. You chose this. Nobody forced this on you. It was your choice. And in much the same way, we curbed smoking by raising the tax on cigarettes. We're going to curb obesity by simply killing off the fat people. I say kill them all. And just not worry about health care. Just the moment your BMI reaches 30.01%, just kill them. Just go to a death camp, and uh, that ends the problem. Or Okay, let's give them nine months to bring it down, uh, because that's what they say here. So uh, people with a... Uh, uh, with a body mass index of 30 or more will be set targets to reduce their weight by 10% over nine months. And those with a BMI over 40 will be told to cut their weight by 15%. At the end of the nine months, any patient who failed to lose enough weight will be summarily executed. No, I'm sorry. will have their circumstances, quote, considered by a clinical panel. Um, so I think that uh, I think the logical next step, Seth, is to simply execute those who cannot lose the requisite 15% within nine months. That seems fair, right? I mean, can you disagree with that from a humanistic perspective? Really? I mean, can you? Can you mount an ethical, moral justification of why that shouldn't be from outside of certain religious persuasions? Yeah, if you're looking at, if your sole goal is the uh, to increase the outcomes uh, post-surgery, then simply not performing those surgeries is the best way to do it. Just, well, I mean, you know. and even, even if we pull back from this and say, would... Would the population as a whole be better if there was less smoking and less fat people? Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the sad part. But again, it comes down to choice. And so people make their choices, but they had the freedom to make that choice. They have the freedom to accept the consequences of it. So it really seems to me here, if you're going to be internally consistent with your own logic at this point, uh, rather than denying these people the health care that they have a right to as a citizen, you simply deny them citizenship. Forced deportation of anybody whose BMI is too high. That At that point, you stay internally consistent with your own logic. If, if the problem is you can't provide your citizens the health care they need, then you just make them no longer citizens. Problem solved. No, you have to have them to consume the resources to keep the economy afloat. <laughs> yeah, because if you can't tax them, so, so you take them off. If you're no longer citizens, they're off the tax roll and then your revenues go down. I see the flaw in my logic there. <laughs> but if you kill them, realistically like- enough. If you kill them, there's a death tax, and so you win both ways. I, I see your point, Seth. 
But doesn't it feel like there's, an, there's a, a de-evolution going on here? Like survival of the fittest works as a law of the jungle. It doesn't work as a law of, you know, London or, or, you know, some sort of just metropolitan first world country. We're supposed to be able to accommodate everybody here. And if you can't accommodate everybody, then give up and say, we can't accommodate everybody. Let everybody go to the market and find their own way of dealing with it. Look, um, personal health is a personal thing. It's you. It's you individually. It's not your doctor doesn't make you fat. Your doctor doesn't make you skinny. Your doctor doesn't make you healthy. Your doctor helps as as a third party to try to intervene with something that is happening that is beyond their control and probably beyond your own most of the time. And at the end of the day, your health is ultimately your responsibility. And if you, you will take some of that responsibility. And we do that whether it be proactive, whether it be reactive, whether we have a plan for adverse events, which occur to all of us. Uh, it's like saying, I'm not going to cover you for health care if you drive this model car and have an accident on the road because statistics show this model car has more accidents than that model car. That's stupid. And it's exactly the same argument that says statistics show people with a BMI over 30 are more pronounced to, you know, these sorts of illnesses and we can't afford to treat that. Give it up. Come on. You can treat everybody. Everybody here. If you're going to make everybody pay insurance, you treat everybody, period. That's it. Let's move on. This is ridiculous. It's either universal health care or it isn't. You have to decide. Right. UK. It's up to you. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm okay with them providing accident and emergency health care for everybody and then elective you take into the free market as long as they allow the free market to be free. That can work. But that's not what they're offering here. And it, it, it cannot work. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, this is kind of just a proposal. And hopefully people could see what I was doing with the argument. Unless you write your angry emails to me, I'm an exceptionally fat person. and I would be one of the people denied service so you know if you haven't seen pictures of me i'm rather portly and uh so but hopefully people will stop and think and don't just knee-jerk reaction stupid article bad people that's an evil system stop and think about it look why why did they come up with this system what is this system addressing what are the flaws in the system that make a proposal like this make sense to people and if you can't do that, you can't have a conversation about it. Quit quoting the other facts and ignoring the facts that brought about these proposals. Deal with them. And then you can have a good conversation. Maybe you can come up with something if you will acknowledge what's in front of you. And hopefully, we in the United States have proven we're incapable of doing that. So, you know, here's to you, England, Great Britain. Show that you're better than us. Here's your chance. Have a rational conversation about this. Yeah, and slap around the person who had this stupid idea in the first place, would you? <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't know how the political system works, but I have enough faith in humanity to think that this will not go through. This cannot be um, allowed to stand. Uh, I hope that my friends in the United Kingdom are not so moronic as to allow such a thing to become the law of the land however if you're not paying attention to it you may well be the moron of which i'm speaking it is very important that these discussions be had you know three americans discussing discussing them on the podcast sadly aren't going to change anything 
I hope that these discussions are taking place in the coffee houses and the courthouses and and the legislative houses as well. Uh, because you know, I, I think the little interplay that Seth and I did there, um, trying to remain logically consistent and doing a, a a little role play there, you find very quickly that it's very difficult to come up with a rational um, uh, uh, buttress uh, base of what's the word I'm looking for foundation, a rational foundation for this kind of thing. Um, you have to narrow your focus down to one particular metric. It's it's reminiscent of the 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 famous story that came out of uh, Soviet Russia that uh, there was this uh, shoe plant that found they could make shoes more quickly if they only made the left shoe. So it, they met their quota. Government was happy, but nobody had shoes because when you boil down your metrics to such a simple thing, shoes pr- produced over a given time period and re- reject all other rational logical intelligent metrics you end up with a country of barefoot peasants and a stockpile of left shoes and and this is this is where the uk is heading in this sort of thing if you look at a single metric uh post-surgical uh outcomes then there's all kinds of things you can do to make that metric better and you end up with a population of sick people who can't get the surgeries they need so wake up people and and think systematically stop thinking a single purpose you know i i called out you single purpose voters a while back this is a perfect example of that kind of thing anytime you focus on a single um facet of any complex or uh, uh argument you end up being a moron sorry i'm gonna step off my soapbox now I like what you were saying there. You know, if we could get back to a, uh, a, a a way of voting on issues and not on support your local sporting team that is this team or that team, but is more about issue-based voting and we don't have uh, elections which are done periodically based on your team and their leader becoming the leading faction of your region but you have more of a vote on issues i think we could actually solve a lot more problems quicker and a lot of these things wouldn't see the light of day because they wouldn't get they wouldn't get through the first stage triage but right now we use the media and discussion amongst ourselves as being the only form of first stage triage but even if we say that's a really dumb idea guess what it still ends up as a bill that's true because the the people who, you know, I, I I'm having trouble not looking at, at this through the lens of an American, and so uh, admittedly everything I say is biased in that in that uh, direction. So let's say this, uh, let's hi- uh, hypothetically suppose this bill was proposed in the U.S. Um, the the issue would be that we're so personality driven. You have a guy, I can't vote for this guy for president because he has not taken a strongly enough anti-abortion stance. He has not specifically said, I will work tirelessly to overturn Roe versus Wade. Therefore, he's a bad president. We have this guy over here uh, who says, I cannot vote for this person for, for president because he has not shown strongly enough that he will support equal pay for women across all um, um, jobs, across all uh, environments, across all uh, levels of experience. And because he won't do that, I can't vote for him for president. And so now we have, we have 
reduced two qualified candidates to non-runners because they the single issues that they stand on so what you end up with is a milk toast leader who who says just the right vague thing about just enough uh issues to get elected and then has no ability to lead because he has no mandate and he has no 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 platform on which to stand and this has happened i would say for the last old five presidents and and you know and it, the uk is is not the same system but it's definitely the same um system of beliefs and system of of uh society that i see happening there their their political system is different but their same humans are running the the ship and and this is the kind of crap that comes out when you're focused on you know the guy's haircut instead of the guy's inability to to think rationally and intellectually and that also happens whenever you don't take the time to learn to think and you've simply been taught what to think. Amen. Preach it, brother. Because, I mean, let's face it. I w- you're taught that, you know, the government knows best. You're taught that the government is your savior. The government's going to protect you from terrorism. The government's going to protect you from global warming. The government's going to protect you from drought. The government's going to protect you from famine. The government's going to protect you. Well, how is the government going to protect you? By killing off the weak and feeble among you so only the strongest survive. And it's going to happen and stuff like this. But because you've been told to blindly do something, and there are valid reasons and there are valid circumstances where it takes something as large as a national government to protect a group of people, like from another national government. Or it takes a large organization to recover from a large geographic um uh, destruction. So, okay, I understand there are, there, but you know, here's the thing. Does that mean that that's your source? Does your source come from them? If your source comes from them, then you need to give them all the resources you can and trust that they will give back to you what you need when you need it. And if you didn't get it, that means somebody else needed it more. But if you take the time to learn how to think, then maybe you can prepare some stuff for yourself. And maybe you'll know why that, you know, the, um, why this agency is out of money and you know where did it go are there you know there's just stop and think yeah so we're not like going to do that because we can't watch facebook videos netflix and chill <laughs> baby for the I, win let me give you a real life example that happened to be yesterday um we have some friends my wife my wife's uncle and auntie is still alive and they live in Adelaide in South Australia. So as we were leaving Adelaide to come to see my wife's uh, mother who lives outside, about a five-hour drive outside of the city, we decided to drop in and say hi to them. We hadn't seen it for 12 months. Now, um, my wife's uncle, his name's John, uh, this man is 85 years old. He has uh, leukemia, but it's under control, which is good. But there are signs of it that will, you know, pronounce through it through him. For example, he got uh, in his ear, uh, part of his ear got cancer and it had to be addressed. Now, this guy is an interesting character. He has a fairly large family. Um, I think two or three sons and a couple of daughters. One of his sons is an admiral in the Royal Australian Navy. Another one of his sons is a commodore in the Royal Australian Navy. He himself has had an international career. He's a multi-millionaire. He's been consultants to most businesses on the planet. This guy is unbelievable. He's written four books. I mean, we're talking 
a very uh, well-established, high-profile person. Now, in Australia, like the NHS, there is a socialised healthcare system. So when he uh, got cancer and needed treatment, he got the treatment he needed that stopped him from dying, which is good. But when it came to something as simple as his ear, they had to go in there and do surgery. And uh, what they ended up having to do was to cut away half of his ear. So we went and met, you know, saw him yesterday. It was great to see them. I walk in the door and I see this guy who's got what looks, I hate to say it, but it was quite grotesque looking things sticking off the side of his head that used to be an ear, but is actually like a bit of the top of the ear. And then like a dog took a big bite out of it. And then this earlobe just dangling at the bottom. And he says to me, well, I had to get it done because it was really painful. I had this cancer growing there. They cut it away and this is what's left. And my first uh, first answer, uh, question was, I said, John, why on earth didn't they do some cosmetic surgery or some something to recreate at least a semblance of your ear? Why did they leave you with that? And he goes, well, under the Australian healthcare system, the uh, because it was a a life-threatening, you know, uh, thing, they could cut away the cancer, but they do not allow cosmetic surgery as part of the socialized medicine system. So this is what I got. I have to pay for the cosmetic surgery to put all this back together again. And, you know, to be honest, it's just not worth it to me. And I look at this and I go, this is a man who he and all of his kids have served this country with their lives in many cases in times of war his kids have done multiple tours of duty in both desert storm and desert shield in the first iraq war and the second they've done the whole bit they've put everything on the line here for their country and this is what their country pays them back with and this is what healthcare. Ha- this is what happens when you don't get a choice you're forced to pay for health care and this is what happens when it gets rationed so please america don't do this. Don't take this rationed, socialized healthcare model on with all of the marketing spin without realizing there will be limits. And whether it might be that you're obese and you can't get surgery, or whether it's they can only put half your ear back together, or you know, please, this is some things are worth fighting for. And it makes perfect logical sense to not use government funds to pay for a stripper's boob job. So it makes sense that there's a writer in there that public funds can't be used for cosmetic surgery. Reconstructive surgery is an entirely different thing, but that requires a level of thought and uh, and discernment that simply did not go into the Australian healthcare legislation. It's considered cosmetic, therefore it's not allowed. Computer and I mean, here's no. Yeah, here's the thing. America's already taken the first step to this. The first Whenever we pass the Affordable Care Act, oh, well, this isn't going to be that. Well, whenever they nationalized health care in Britain in 1948, it wasn't going to be that either. And it maybe it's not going to be today. It's not going to be next month. It's not going to be next year. But you can bet your bottom dollar that crap like this is coming if we maintain the course we started with the Affordable Crap Act 
that got passed a few years ago. Why do you think that they specifically put legislation in that capped the prices and price froze for the first couple of years so it couldn't be repealed when it was easy because nobody wanted it to? And guess what? All those prices unfroze right before the election. So the next president, whether it be a Democrat or Republican, gets the blame for health care prices shooting up again. That didn't do anything. All that did was screw up our healthcare system. So, I mean, hey, we, we started down the road. And this conversation that we had about Great Britain screwing up their healthcare so much that, you know, if you're fat, tough. I mean, hey, that's happening in America. But, you know, we already fat shame people. So it might be here. It might not take 60 years to happen here. They are the canary in the coal mine. That's for sure. Yep. All right. Thank you, Ala, for this uh, uh, this news article. Uh, I think uh, you suggested that we might get a show out of it. I think we gave you a show um, yeah. out of this. And you at least wanted um, to hear some discussion, so I, we at least got discussion. <laughs> um I, I like this kind of thing uh we'll see what you the audience have to say about it what are what are your thoughts uh but stripping something down to its barest essential and then debating the logic of it sure is a lot of fun for me um and and you know we'll see what happens from there but it uh, seth titled this in in our show notes who controls your right to health care i think that's a really good question to ask um i would i would actually say do you even have a right to health care I mean, that's a valid question. Do you have a right to health care? Um, Miles basically said that by being born, you have a, a right to basic health care. That, that was what I took his statement to mean. Um, I would say that uh, in, the, in the UK, there's a contract that was made when they passed that legislation. Uh, and I, I alluded to that earlier. Uh, you give us this, we give you that. That's the contract. Um, but it's an interesting thing. Here in the US, we've decided no. You don't have a right to health care. The Affordable Care Act was really the first time that we as a country uh, declared any kind of rights, the patient bill of rights, they called it. Uh, But for, you know, the first couple hundred years of this country's existence, we said, no, that's not a right. It's something you can work for. It's something you can purchase. It's a it's a it's an elective. It's a thing that's out there. Uh, But no, you don't have a right to it. and we've had some legislations, and I've talked about them in the past, the, the life-saving care. Uh, a, an emergency uh, room cannot refuse to provide life-saving care to somebody uh, who comes in, uh, uh, no matter what. It's, it's the EMTALA law. Um, also, there are laws that you know if you are a physician or a nurse or whatever, you are not allowed to walk by an incident where you could help. So there, we, have, we as this country have decided that at least you have the right to be kept alive if it's within the skill of those around you. Um, but the the concept of right to health care, I, I really think you got to start there. What do you as a person believe? What do the people around you believe? What does your country believe? And then build from there. Um, and what we see, what we are seeing is a, a logical inconsistency. The UK said uh, we have a contract. Now they're breaching that contract because as Seth so eloquently put, you've run out of money and you can't honor your own contract. So the only two choices are uh, admit your system doesn't work or tweak the system so that you can do something for somebody, but not everything for everybody. Um, these are things that you need to think about on an individual level and on a national level. Can I add one thing to that too? No, no, I'm done. Um, sorry. 
Well, I, I want people to see beyond advertising spin and realize that the way that things are sold to you, whether it be on national news media or advertising, is not necessarily the truth. And only you have the responsibility to dig through it, to actually find the facts. And a, an example of that, which applies here, is that um, there is a very large media blitz on um, the dangers of people who, say, travel into Mexico, for example, tourists and so on, and all the drug cartels and all the bad stuff that's going on that, you know, people getting shot and killed and all this sort of stuff. And to be honest with you, as somebody who does that journey quite, kind of often, it's BS. It's not like that at all. And the reality is when you look at the actual number of deaths, who are really creating the deaths of people as a result of drugs? The number one killer out there in terms of drug deaths are prescription drugs that are being uh, written by pharmacists and written by physicians in the United States, particularly in opioids. And if you were to actually say, this is the number of people on the border who were killed by drug dealers in Mexico. And this is the number of people who were killed by doctors in the United States. Those doctors who were motivated by greed and money and pharmaceutical kickbacks and all of those things, all of a sudden, everything starts to see a little clearer. And maybe then you can start questioning the news media and realizing when they're trying to sell you single payer health care, they're trying to sell you higher taxes and all these sort of things that are spun as benefit, that at the end of the day, it ain't what it seems. You are a right wing conspiracy nut job. Did you take your tinfoil <laughs> with you to Australia? I mean, <laughs> the, time, that, that's, that, that's the response to that. So, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, I read this. It was an interesting article on Facebook. And, you know, I know fake news, all that kind of crap. But this one was actually legitimate. The president of NPR spent a year has a right-wing person in the South. And he learned the left-wing media bias that he didn't believe existed. So it was it was an interesting article about the the state of the country. And hopefully, if you're in America, you will take the time and look it up and read it and see. But just an interesting article. All opinions are wrong, including mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is this is a part of the show where I ask you what you think, you the listener. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button, tell us what you think. Sound off. Um, you know, as I, I was I was joking earlier when I uh said that uh um, you know, Paul said I was wrong and I put those up to the front, but I, I really do. Um hold a high regard for people who disagree with me intelligently. Uh one of my favorite quotes is from a fictional character, Isaac Jaffe, uh um on the uh, show Sports Night, played by, played by Robert Guillaume, who recently died. Um, his line was, if you're dumb, surround yourself with smart people. If you're smart, surround yourself by, with smart people who disagree with you. Um, I like to think I'm a smart people. And so I, I, I give people um, uh, head-of-the-line access if you can disagree with me intelligently. You know, just don't call me a fat pig. You know, that's not helpful. It's, you know, we all know that. That's not useful. Um, but if you have a, an intelligent discourse, I love to hear that sort of stuff. Uh, so 
bring it on. Contact us uh, button at the top of the page on elementop.com or send us an email at geekrant at elementop.com. Or if you want to uh, voice your opinions uh, loud and clear, you can call our voicemail line or Google voice line at uh, 559-IAMOP. And uh, you can find a phone somewhere with numbers on it um, and, and figure out what the numbers are for IAMOP. Um, but uh, we love to hear what you have to say. And uh, having said that, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. On October the 27th, 1980, the first major network crash occurred. The ARPANET, the precursor to the modern internet, stops functioning for about four hours after the network's routing tables are corrupted by a malfunctioning interface message processor, or IMP, from last week. The network failure resulted from a redundant single error detecting code that was used for transmission but not storage and a garbage collection algorithm for removing old messages that was not resistant to the simultaneous existence of one message with several different timestamps. The combination of events took the network down for four hours. Four whole hours. The whole internet was down. All and that happened machines. this week in history in 1980. And now back to you. I wonder what the... Uh scope of the internet was in 1980 I, I, it couldn't have been more than two dozen machines no you can uh, um there's actually if if you research this story there's a map showing um some stuff on the east coast some stuff on the west coast and like up in chicago so not not a whole lot of uh not a now of course you know when we say the first net or the first in history we're obviously not including the super civilizations of the anti-diluvian time that you can find references <laughs> we just went flat earth all of a sudden there didn't we (laughs) i'm sorry i just i mean we were serious this show so i had to have a little fun there at the end and what's funny is that's the same kind of problems that still things uh bring things down uh corrupt routing tables Yep. You know, we just did a story a couple weeks ago about China being offline because of a corrupt routing table. And we haven't figured that out in 40 years. We haven't figured that problem out. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it did pretty good because you think about ARPANET went online in like 69. So, I mean, yeah. that's over 10 years before there's a major network crash. So, Yeah, and probably of those four hours, two and a half of them went by without anybody noticing. <laughs> probably. Uh, all right. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option? Okay. Well, this one is apropos to today's topic. Are you having problems in your life? Does it just seem like no matter what happens, things are just spiraling out of control? And no matter what you do, it seems to be wrong. And you want to just make everything okay. Well, if you go to make-everything-ok.com, there's a make everything okay button. And if you click that button, you can make everything okay. So anyway, that's my <laughs> tip to help make the world just a slightly better place. I like it. I feel better now. Everything is okay uh-huh. now. So um, much and then, better. Yeah, once the process is done, uh, there's a single option and that's close the window because you're done. Everything's okay now. It reminds me, the the thing you said there, or no, it was, whatever, anyway, it reminded me of a line from uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, when they're in the infinite improbability drive and Trillian is counting down the probabilities and it says, we've reached normality. Anything you can't deal with at this point is your fault. Um, 
I like that. <laughs> the make everything okay button. I feel better. I feel calm and feel relaxed now. Thank you, Seth, for making You're everything welcome. okay. All right. Uh, I got nothing else. Uh, Miles, thank you for uh, time traveling back from the future to uh, to join us uh, and uh, let us know how how's the weather tomorrow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was raining and now it's sunny. It could be either. Let's see okay. what happens in your neck of the woods. You sound like a real uh, weatherman. It could be raining. It could be sunny. Uh, there's a 50-50 chance. You could, you could have a career. <laughs> I might need one, you know. <laughs> Interesting thing in this, I was told you about this book I was just reading, Neck of the Woods. A neck used to be an actual measurement, like acre or hectare. A neck was a measurement of property, and we don't use it anymore except in the phrase neck of the woods. So oh, there wow. you go. I did not know that. Little trivia for the day. Um, and uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. And remember, pay for what you like, including your health care. We'll see you next week.